Welcome to another Books of the Year podcast. I'm Simon Mayo. I'm Matt Williams. Oh, right. So yes. you're actually here this I time. I am here this time. I, I am conscious that the last time I was on here, I was on the hands-free on the M1 going through the roadworks. So yes. And here's the thing. I listened, obviously, to both of those, all, all the podcasts, podcasts that have come out since then, and they were all far too good. And that didn't do anything for my ego at all, so I oh. decided, well, I'd better be in the studio for the next one. So here I am. So... What, so where have you been? Uh, I've been in my new job, which I, I, I believe we might have touched on uh, last time I was on, uh, which involves the Equestrian Federation, uh, lots of uh, hilarity at uh, people asking, people constantly ask me now on Twitter for tickets to Olympia. Uh, and uh, racing tips. And uh, racing tips, which obviously isn't the same thing. But but yes, but I, I think we need to, because the last time we spoke, we spoke about my new job, but we've not really talked about your new job. Oh, I see. Yet. So nicely turned yes, around. Yes, I am going to turn this around because... But what do you do have, on a daily basis? Uh, what I do is I do my job and I love every minute and isn't it great? But let's talk about your okay. new poke because I, I've been following very closely on, on Twitter and yes. I see that you have this new... You're going to be somewhere new. Yes, I am. Let's talk about that because I don't think you've spoken anywhere else about this. March the 4th. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a new radio station called Scala, uh-huh. and uh, I'm going to be doing ten o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon, Monday to Saturday. Wow, six days a week. I know. How about goodness that? me, including a chart on Saturday morning. A, no, a chart. A chart. Yes. Anyway, and so it's it's very exciting. It's an entertainment station yeah. built around classical music. Um, and the best I can say is that the fact that William Orbit is doing our evening show. Yeah, it gives you a kind of approach. Uh, a kind of an idea about the the way that we're going to be approaching it, which is that it's still you know it's going to be mainly kind of the classical music that you'd expect, but there's going to be a lot of buzzy stuff around that because there are a lot of buzzy people involved in classical music and they're taking it into new and exciting. Uh, you, you always know something's a really good idea when somebody tells you something that's happening and you go. I can't believe no one's thought of doing that before. Yeah. And the, the very idea that, you know, up until now it's basically been Radio 3 and Classic FM and that's it. And you think, goodness me. Yeah, there are, there are 400 plus radio stations doing pop and rock and that yeah. and oldies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, and just two doing classical music. So it kind of was quite an exciting yeah, thought. Definitely. And, and also no one can say, we used to do it like this. We've always done it like this because no one's actually done yeah. it before. So we're going in, and my show will actually be the first show. It'll be the you're going to um, be the first voice. It'll count down. So I'm gonna, it's a bit like Tony Blackburn launching yeah. Radio One in 1967. Very much the same. Yeah, I'm going to use exactly the same words. Are you going to do "Flowers in the Rain" but by played, the birds? No, "Flowers in the Rain" played by the London Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Oh, super. It was the move, anyway. Not was the it the bird. move? Yeah. Who were the birds? The birds were, were a band. Yeah, they yeah. were a different band. They were they're a different band. They also did Flowers in the Rain. Good to know. No, I don't, I don't, yeah, they I did. Don't yeah, they did. <laughs> anyway, yes, so Scarlet starts on March the 4th. And we've done all I've done at the moment is we've done some stuff for the test transmissions. And the test transmissions are going to be great. In fact, I, whenever a new radio station starts, the test transmissions are. Can really, anyone hear those? So could yeah, I tune into them now? Well, on the day that we're speaking, no. Okay, but in a couple of weeks' time they'll be. They'll so be when this running. podcast comes out, so literally when people have finished listening to this podcast, they could. What, may, how do, how am I going to be able to listen to this? I, it's I, on. It's on, it's a D. Well, it'll they'll DAB. Be, it'll be it's DAB. It'll be online, and there'll be an app. Great. Okay. As well. Get all three of them. Bang them on my phone. Yeah, I think that's probably a very wise and healthy yes. thing to do. You know, and so I think it'll be quite exciting. I can't be doing with this just an occasional podcast and one show a week. No thing. No. I want to have. 
more six than shows. that. I six want more shows. of me. In fact, I'm going to be doing seven because the film show on Five Live and then six shows for Scarlet. Wow. I mean, wow, Fridays for you. How am I going to write another book? <laughs> and there's all that to come as well. Yeah. Anyway, on the equestrian, yeah. what's the most exciting thing happening in the equestrian calendar? There are quite a few things. So, what's the next thing? Well... That I, I'm now I'm now having to be very careful. There are quite a few things don't coming say, up okay, we that don't I say can't talk about. I'm not going to. It's not going to get me into trouble because I'm obviously not going to say that. But there are obviously lots of major sporting events. Yes. We've got you know badminton, Burley. Got the European Games, European Championships this summer as well. Do you own jodhpurs? I don't yet own any jodhpurs or a hat. I've been told that I, I, I'm, I'm visiting quite a lot of stables, and I've, I've so far not got onto a horse. But I've been told. Would you get a discount for a horse if you wanted a to discount buy one? for a horse? Can you keep a horse in Southgate? <laughs> well, I've got my coupons and put them in the school playing fields yeah. next to my. Yeah, no, no, I don't. I don't get any any cheap horses or bridles or. Saddled. We are reaching the limit of my knowledge now beyond saddles and bridles okay. right, and bits. Good. Well, it's very nice to have you back yes, on here. I'm and, delighted to be here. And here we go with today's rather fine book. Okay, books of the year. Let's do uh, another top book for you. Look out for Charlie Connolly's book, which is called Last Train to Hilversum, with the subtitle or strap line. What would we call it? I'd call it a subtitle, I suppose. Okay. A Journey in Search of the Magic of Radio. So this was a gift for us. Matt's now going to describe the... Yes. So, uh, well, it's a uh, predominantly blue background we've got here. And then, as you've already mentioned, picked out in, in gold and white uh, on the front is Last Train to Hilversum. And it's th- those that title is sort of flanked by two oldie-styly uh, microphones, also in white and gold. And you've, you've got the sort of international symbol for Wi-Fi at the bottom as well, uh, which I'm sure makes sense. And then, yes, the journey in the search of the magic of radio uh, from the author of Attention All Shipping, A Journey Around the Shipping Forecast. So the juxtaposition of the old stand-up microphone with the Wi-Fi at the bottom is a clever thing because although you look at that and go, OK, this is old and it's looking back, well, Wi-Fi is a hint mm. of the future. Mm-hmm. So nicely done, Charlie. Thanks very much. Yeah, it, I, I had everything to do with that. <laughs> uh, tell, tell us how this book came about. What's, what's the idea behind Last Train to Hilversum? And explain the title. Uh, well, the the title is um, to do with Hilversum. is a town in the Netherlands. Uh, it's about twenty minutes outside Amsterdam, and the entire Dutch broadcasting and media industries are based in Hilversum, uh, and they have been ever since the nineteen twenties. So it's almost like as if all our broadcasting and newspapers had sort of relocated to somewhere like Dunstable, and Dunstable was kind of the media town, and it was on all the old radio dials of the very old radios. Um, you'd see places like places you knew, like Paris and Budapest. Pest, place like, and also places you think, where on earth is that? Like Kallenborg and Lati. And Hilversum was always on the ones that my, my dad had. And so uh, there was something about the sound of the word that I thought sounded a bit like radio. It mm. had that kind of hiss and that thrum underneath it when you say Hilversum. And um, I'd never found out where it was. And then I was thinking that radio at the moment, we're getting towards a sort of, I suppose you call it a watershed or a tipping point in that the great digital takeover is coming and analogue radio will eventually be switched off. And 
while I'm very excited about the future of radio because you know you can you can listen to it on so many things now it's pretty much crystal clear quality wherever you listen to it but also I think there's something about the the hiss and the hum of the old style radio that we're, we're going to lose and I think it is it is sad but it's it, it's a, a great forward development hence the old microphone and the mm-hmm. Wi-Fi symbol on the cover and it's a very exciting time to go forward into radio but I think it's a nice time to to take stock and um and and think about where radios come from and think about some of the great moments in radio and the great people in radio and so that's why I decided to write a book called Last Train to Hilversum. Uh, just on those radio sets which you're talking about, I know you 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 collect quite a few. How many have you got? Would you say? Um, collect is probably implies that I have some sort of knowledge. I've, I've acquired loads acquired because loads, yes. they they look nice. Um, so I've probably got about last time I counted is about fifteen or sixteen, which in a small flat takes up quite a lot. Yeah. So and are these stations that you're talking? About, is it medium wave, long wave, VHF? Uh, probably not the old VHF because they didn't have it in, in, in those days, I don't think. Um, yeah, it's mainly medium wave. Uh, so you go along the medium wave dial mm. between stations. Because now people make a lot of things about, you know, internet radio and you can find radio stations from around the world. But what's interesting about you talking about Hilversum and Paris and all, is that if you, depending on what time of day you were on, you could always hear more at night, but you could sc- you could go along the dial and you could listen to radio stations from around, well, particularly Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people used to tune in, um, especially be- before the BBC in the early days of the BBC in the 20s. People were just as likely to listen to the BBC as they were to listen to to a station from Hilversum because they had um, uh, dance bands on and concerts and, and, and that was your choice. I mean, uh, British broadcasting when the BBC started was a complete monopoly, but for the listener... Uh, especially at night, as you say, when the signal would carry further, you could listen to a concert from Kalundborg. Um And it was mainly concerts and recitals, and, and, and uh, the choice was there. And it was a very European setup back then. Uh, can I, and so can I just ask, format comes in, what, what are you trying to do in the book? What, what, when you say a journey in search of the magic of radio, are you trying to work out why you love radio? Radio is is that the essence of it, and do you find the answer? Yeah, I mean, I think radio is a very understated medium in general. Radio doesn't blow its own trumpet, and I think we've all grown up listening to the radio. I mean, those those radio figures that say there's uh, nine out of ten adults in Britain listen to the radio every week, which is an astonishing statistic. And most of those people seem to listen for more than twenty hours a week as well. So it's something. We take for granted. It's something that, that doesn't shout. I mean, you go to a radio awards ceremony and people are almost apologising for picking up awards. It's, it, whereas it, TV and other entertainment uh, and news uh, organisations, the awards ceremonies are big hooplas and uh, big hedonistic occasions. Whereas radio just gets on with it. And I, I, I realised that I've been listening to radio all my life. I found a postcard from Listen With Mother from a picture I'd sent them once when I was about five years old that I didn't even remember sending. So I've, I've been listening to radio for longer than I can remember. And and reading about the, the, the great analogue switch-off made me realise that. And I thought, I'd like to explore that more, that relationship I've had with radio and the relationship we all have with radio. Because I've been a listener, I've done a few bits of radio myself, so I'm, I'm kind of in between that kind of the insider's thing oops, and the and the outsider's perspective as well, as the listener and the doer. So I thought, kind of quite uh, conceitedly, that might put me in a good position to explore where the magic of radio lies. I, uh, I want to talk a bit more about that relationship that we all have with radio. Before we actually started this interview, when you came in, Charlie, I said to you, 
that we're going we're to have enormous fun doing this interview because me and Simon are uh, massive fans of radio. But actually, that's a bit like saying me and Simon really enjoy food or oxygen <laughs> or water because 90% of the population love radio and, and consume it every week. So there's nothing special about us being fans of radio. And my theory, and I did, I was gratified to see it in your book as well. My theory with radio has always been the power of it is because it feels such an intimate medium. Whereas with television, you may well watch that with other people. Often with radio, you'll just have it on in your car or maybe it's on in the kitchen. Maybe it's on and you're not listening to it, but it's just there. And it often feels like, oh, right, it's just me listening. Mm. It's just that they're just talking to the really, really good broadcasters make you feel they're just talking to me. It's just me. So it's just this, which you don't get with TV. You're never under that impression with TV or, or film or anything like that. With radio, you absolutely are. It's a, so I, I just want to ask you about that sort of intimate relationship that we, that we have with, with radio that perhaps we don't get with other mediums. Yeah, I think intimacy is the right word. And, and I, I've used a phrase before that sounds like a, a contradiction, but it's a kind of shared intimacy. That it, it's this kind of one-to-one thing we have with the radio that we are sharing with thousands of people across the country, across the world, um, li- listening in as well. Because, I mean, you have to go to television. Um, television anchors you to one spot because you've got to sit there and watch it. Uh, whereas radio, you can play it through your phone, you can carry it around the house. And it's the old cliche that the pictures are better on the radio, but they are. And I think that the success of radio and I think the, the intimacy of radio is buried in the fact that we do have to invent the pictures in our heads. So radio, television, we tend to absorb more, whereas radio, I think, makes us think more because it is creating things in, in our heads, creating the pictures and, 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 and that kind of dialogue that we have that we're not actually participating in, but between the presenter and the listener is that intimate thing inside the head rather than just using the eyes and the ears i think radio is that's why uh radio is such a magical medium i think because it gets inside us that shared intimacy is a re- is it's a very interesting phrase because obviously it's a one-to-one communication where you've both been saying but the great thing the things that i always used to like very much and which i look forward to happening in the future yes is when you get emails and texts into into the show that you're doing saying we were just stuck at traffic lights and we noticed that the people in the car yeah, next yeah, to us yeah. were listening to the same thing so and let's yeah, alan freeman when he when he came on he used to say greetings music lovers in a plural so we knew that we were part of a bigger gang mm. so it was intimate and yet we knew that we were in the gang and that's a very very interesting relationship to try and develop. It is, because um, Stuart Hibbert, who was the first great radio announcer at the BBC and, and was doing it for years, up to you know, the sort of 30s, 40s and 50s, and he used to close down the BBC at night and he'd go, good night, everybody, and then he'd leave a pause, and he'd go, good night. And the pause was for everyone at home to answer him. So he'd be going, good night, everybody, and they'd go, good night. I'm going to do that next yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's but I think that's great. I think that's, that that image. I think sums up what's great about radio: that intimacy. But so it is a conversation. I, the other thing I'd say, which again is something that you've you've touched on, is that radio tends to be sort of that, that sort of look down on media. It's, it's certainly not as glamorous as film or TV. I remember when I first got involved in in, in local radio, and this is in the sort of mid to late nineties. And um, an editor coming to me and basically saying, why on earth are you getting involved in radio? It's about to die. Have you not? Can you not see how this industry is going? And, you know, 20 years later, people, more people listening to radio than have ever done before. It's huge. It's absolutely burgeoning. But 
it still fe- it, it always feels like we are five years away from, oh, yeah, no one's going to listen to radio anymore. At the moment, it's, it's sort of like, well, we're, we're talking on a podcast and everyone's saying, oh, yes, podcasts are going to be the future. No one's going to be listening to radio. And my instinct is, in five years' time, radio will still be going strong, but still people will be going, ah, you see this new thing? That's what's going to take over from radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, television was supposed to do it, wasn't it? It was supposed to kill off radio, and it, it hasn't. Uh, podcasting, I think podcasting complements radio as mm. well. I think um, So this isn't radio, the way you well, would describe I would, it? I think it is, you know. I, I, I would say it's radio. We're sitting here in a studio talking to lots of people. Those people may be choosing when they're listening to, to this, uh, this podcast rather than switching on at a certain time and hearing it. But the principle's the same, I think. I think, yeah. I think podcast and radio are in the same, same bracket. I think it, it, it almost makes it like the concentrated radio, distilled radio, because it means that you have chosen to download it and you're, and you're choosing the moment at which you're listening to it. Mm. So although you won't be sharing it, you know that there are lots of other people downloading it and they kind of know all the stuff that's going on. Uh, Charlie Connolly's book is Last Train to Hilversum, and we'll talk more with Charlie after this. Uh, Charlie Connolly is here, Last Train to Hilversum. This is the Books of the Year uh, podcast. Tell us uh, about the shipping forecast, because uh, as Matt mentioned at the beginning, it says for, on the front of your book from the author of Attention All Shipping, A Journey Around the Shipping Forecast, and we're back with the shipping forecast for a little section of this book, and you're using it to illustrate why there is a sort of a majesty and a poetry uh, to radio. Just explain a little bit about why we should spend time uh, discussing the shipping forecast. Because on on the surface, you'd think it's the most niche piece of broadcasting ever. (laughs) I think the shipping forecast, there's so many aspects of the shipping forecast that make, uh, you know, it's a horrible old phrase, but, you know, one of the great things about this country, I think, is the shipping forecast. Um, it's been going since 1924 in the format that we, we know it at the moment, and it, it, it gives you the weather at, at sea, and it divides the sea areas around Britain into these kind of little areas with evocative names that you don't know where they are, most of them, and some are named after sandbanks and rivers and, and, and towns. And it's written to a very strict format. There's only certain fra- words and phrases that you can use, and there's a maximum number of words. I think it's um, 370 words or something like that. Uh, and it's it, the same format every time, yet it is like poetry because it's the same every time, but it's different because there's different weather uh, conditions, weather, um, uh, what's happening with the weather and what's happening in the next 24 hours. Uh, and it has developed this poetry and it has inspired poets like uh, Seamus Heaney and Carol Ann Duffy and Sean Street have written beautiful poems inspired by the shipping forecast. But I think it, it, it kind of emphasises what, what makes Britain great because it there's no benefit, there's no bottom line to the shipping forecast. No one makes a profit out of the shipping forecast. It is almost entirely altruistic. It's uh, it's protecting people at sea and people say you've still got, you've got GPS, you've got um, sat-navs and things like that and, and internet. Why do we still need the shipping forecast i think that's like saying why do we still need the news on the radio you know you can get that on the internet but you know we still have the news at the top of the hour and, and it'd be really weird if we didn't have the news on the radio um but it, it, it's one of the great cultural aspects i think of, of radio and of this country in particular and the fact that it encompasses um outside our shores as well the ship, shipping forecast looks outwards from britain it's not an internal introverted thing and it, and it and it's there to save lives and who can say how many lives it saved in the in the uh, what is it 90 odd years since it started now um so yeah hats off to the shipping forecast and, and long may it prosper i mean people keep saying it shouldn't be on the radio anymore it absolutely should
There's another thing on radio that shouldn't work, but absolutely does. And and it's going to seem odd me saying that it shouldn't work because it was my job for a long time, was sport on the radio. Sport on the radio shouldn't really work because, particularly if you've got access to the pictures, why on earth would you bother listening to um, Test Match Special if you've got uh, the, the, the Test Match is live on your telly? Why would you bother? If you've got, you know, the, the football on Sky on your telly, why on earth would you be listening to Five Live when actually lots of us do mm. and it's and it's i I've, I've often tried to work it out and you know i've had 20 years working in that industry and still can't really work out why i would prefer to hear john murray doing commentary from old trafford as opposed to actually watching it but i absolutely do and it's i i maybe it's the the, the pictures being created by john and other amazing broadcasters the ian robertson and jonathan agnew and, and people like that um and you know, john hunt there are loads of great commentators who are so skilled but I'm interested in your insight because obviously you've, you've written about sport as well. What is it that you think makes sport work on the radio when, when you know, every logical bone screams out, no, it shouldn't work? Um, again, I think it helps that you're making the pictures in, in your head. I think listening to football commentary on medium wave, I think is one of the, the great radio experiences because you've got the wash of the atmosphere tied in with the, the, the roar and the, and the, of the crowd. And it's almost like you can hear the match breathing through your radio mm. with, the, with the, 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 the ebb and flow of the crowd and the, the atmospherics as well. Um, and I think football and, and, and many sports are much better on the radio. I lived in Ireland for, for many years and listening to the Gaelic football and the hurling, the, the radio commentaries of those is some of the most exciting radio I've ever heard. I mean, the, the, the Irish GAA sports are exciting to watch anyway, but listening to the, the, the commentators, the, the skill, I mean, it's like when Peter O'Sullivan used to commentate on horse racing yeah. and he'd get built to that climax. The, 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 the Gaelic games commentaries are like that pretty much all the way through. And, and they're so exciting. You can listen to a match uh, between, I don't know, Westmeath and Mayo, and at the end of it, you're breathless because it's like you've been there. And, and, and the power that it has, the commentary has, um, to, to evoke that excitement is something you probably would get the same watching it on TV or watching it if you're actually there as well, but it, it's a different kind of excitement, I think, and a much more uh, nourishing kind of excitement. You've, you've used a really interesting word, the power, because I think, I think that you've absolutely alighted on the correct word. Though. I'm, I often, as I, as I read in your book, um, Peter Jones, mm. his, his closing report from Hillsborough oh. and the Sunshines now, goodness me, I've got hers on the back of my neck going mm. right now. I, I, when I read that in your book, I thought I've, I'm going to have to listen to that again, and you can find it on, on YouTube. And it is astonishing. And it's astonishing because you can tell, not only is he reporting from this um, tragedy, this awful event, but he is delivering it clearly without notes. He is talking off the cuff, and it is just extraordinary and I, you, I, I defy anyone to not to, to to listen to it and not be a wreck at the end of it, which I which I was when I when I listened to it again. But as I said, it, it is that power, mm. the power to move when all you're doing is is talking to people. Yeah, I mean that Peter Jones clip. When you think that was on Sports Report at five o'clock, mm. so that's barely two hours um, after the Hillsborough disaster had, had, had begun. And he's watched it unfold in front of him. He's gone there to watch a football match and commentate on a football match. And this 
terrible, terrible tragedy has happened in front of him. And then two hours later, less than two hours later, when no one's really sure how many casualties there have been or what's, what's, what the cause of it was, it's still raw and it's still unexplored. And he's gone on, and, and I think I counted the words, I think it's less than 300 words he mm. uses. And he does this summary of what he can see, what he's seen, what the implications might be. And it is... the it, I mean, it is most. I'm, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it now. It is the most extraordinary uh, piece of radio, and that's someone who had also been at the Heisel disaster yeah. four years earlier, another dreadful disaster. I mean, I think we can tend to sort of separate um, sporting disasters like Hillsborough and Heisel from other disasters. But can you imagine if you if you'd seen a, a train crash in which ninety odd people were killed, and then two hours later had to go on the radio and just describe what you'd seen, and you, you, all you'd run that train for was to go to work or something like that. And and it, it, these are two of the most heart-rending disasters of, of, of certainly the, the late 20th century in Britain and Peter Jones was there at both of them so the trauma of actually being present at these terrible incidents and then getting it together to kind of to describe them for people in such a concise and considered way I think that broadcast is just one of the highlights of in the history of radio I just can I just spool back to the technology kind of section of the of the conversation and changing times and changing attitudes and so on because this is a a splendid nostalgic read for all the reasons that we've mentioned but i remember this is going back 10 years ago when i i noticed in discussions that my eldest son who was teenager at school he didn't have a radio and he said none of his friends had a radio. This is 10 years ago. And when I was growing up, I wanted a watch, a camera and a radio. They were the things that I thought that, that that's the that's what I wanted to acquire. <laughs> um, and all of that uh, has changed. And overwhelmingly, people under, unless it's in the radio, unless it's in the car, people under 25, under 30 maybe, don't actually own a radio. A radio. We can still access everything through our phones and through the laptop. But how much of a challenge is that, do you think? To because radio that, in general. Yeah, the point I'm making is the habit of radio yeah. listening is 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 changing. You know, that habit of waking up in the morning and turning on the radio, it does now. I look at my kids, they wake up and they open the laptop and they watch stuff on, on YouTube. That's that's mm. what they do. This habit of radio listening is changing, isn't it? I guess. I mean I, I don't have kids. Um but um I it must be, yeah. I mean the thought of not having a radio, I mean, to someone of my generation, I'm 48 years old, uh, is it, it's bizarre because that having a radio in my teens, especially for discovering music um, and for listening to just entertaining stuff for the comedy on Radio Four, like hit and miss, but a lot of it was good. Um, and I did that thing of having my little transistor radio under my pillow, listening to John Peel uh, at 10 o'clock on, on, a, on a midweek evening, and. People of my kind of generation and, and generations ahead of me, and maybe a generation behind me as well, would share that. And again, it's that shared intimacy thing that so many people did that, listening to John Peel under the pillow. Uh, and what people watch YouTube now. So the, the, their generation, they're going to be sharing that, but they're not going to be watching the same things, I guess. So I think, I mean, from, from, from this perspective, looking back at the young people, uh, yeah, I think that they'll probably be losing something from that missing out but yeah it's, it's difficult isn't it because i know obviously when when you and i will have been listening to john peel and listening to music that was the only outlet we had because it you know decent music bluntly on the telly very rare or you know once a week the tube was on or, or whatever but you knew every night okay i can tune into these shows and i'll and i'll hear stuff that i that i'll like whereas now if i was 19 there are so many outlets i can go to and radio is probably very low on the list 
my instinct is that it will still be there that you know much as people say well you know young people aren't going to listen to radio my instinct is as they grow older that that is something they will go to and i i I also and i just want to come back to this briefly but when you when i saw the title of your book being to hilverson it um cast out sparks in my mind because i remember going on holiday to ireland and uh we're driving along my dad's driving and um we pass a road sign to Athlone. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, Athlone, imagine, it's a real place. Can we go to Athlone? I'm, I'm not driving to Athlone. It's like, it's like 80 miles away. We're not driving to Athlone. Why? I was like, is this, it's on my radio. There's this place called Athlone. It actually exists. We should go to Athlone. Maybe there'll be bands in Athlone. I was like, no, we're not going to Athlone. And, 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 and that is something that, that perhaps a younger generation isn't going to get the, the idea of, of that kind of glamour being attra- attached to something that really isn't very glamorous as you find with Hilversum yeah. and um, you know with all respect to Athlone probably not Athlone either <laughs> uh, Athlone. Yeah. oh really okay <laughs> um so and, and there is a it is a shame that, that, that perhaps you're gonna they're gonna miss out on that yeah I mean I suppose the equivalent for Irish people or people from the rest of Europe coming to Britain to be seeing a sign for Daventry yes <laughs> <laughs> Daventry tourism could have really cleaned up there like, <laughs> and, and, well, and to the people with puzzled brows what do we see in Daventry and it, its significance it was the big transmitter it still is a big transmitter there but that was the name the, the, one of the British names uh, other than London and uh, I think Glasgow was on there as well Daventry was uh, on the on all the uh, the radio dials along with Paris and Vienna so we should like so we should finish the way your book finishes which is the trip to Hilversum so mm-hmm. where is it and what do we find when we get there uh, Hilversum is a 20-minute train ride from Amsterdam. So I, you can get there from London. Certainly you can get there within four or five hours with the with the tra- just on the train. Um, but it's it's not a destination as such unless you're kind of a weird, geeky radio person like me because uh, the town itself is perfectly pleasant, but it's the, the, the big media park just on the edge of the town that is the significance of Hilversum because it's where Dutch broadcasting started in the 20s and where Dutch broadcasting has remained. And um, they call this complex Hillywood, which... Of course they do. Hey. Is, uh... <laughs> the, the most interesting thing I... Um... In all your conversation about what happens at uh, at Hilversum was the fact that when radio started in the 1920s, as you as you said, that the kind of the, this public service radio, as I understand it, was divided between the liberals, the socialists, the Catholics, the Protestants, and the free, free Protestants. Protestants. Yeah. So they and they did they, they all got their own radio station. They all got their own radio station. Imagine stations. listening to Radio Free, free Protestant. Protestant. Imagine how much fun that's going to be. Here's a list of the things you can't do today. We're not going to play any of that rock and roll. Stop dancing and having fun. Is that a Protestant station? No, it's a free Protestant. Oh, that's fine. That's yeah, we, fine. we ain't the Protestants. We're free Protestants. Oh, my goodness me. So that was... And, and and there's some sections you I think you say in the book still exists like that. But yeah, yeah. The guy I was talking to uh, at, at Hilversum, he said certainly um, those pillars. He, he he described Dutch society as pillarized into those five pillars. Um, with and the, the, the television stations when that started, they, when television started in the Netherlands, they thought, well, this could be the time to bring everyone together. Just have one big broadcasting uh, corporation like like the BBC and and get everyone together and all the five different things. Probably the free Protestants. Were the most virulent about it said, "No, no, we will have our own television stations as well." Thank you very much. And they all had to have their and own. And they're going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and they had their own versions of the Radio Times. Each five, each of the five, it was it, it was completely divided, and it, and it was still that way up until about the nineties, I think. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, wow. So, yeah. Well, hang on. So there were five, so if I was watching like the biggest show in the Netherlands, I could watch five different versions of it on five different. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. But imagine choosing to listen to socialist radio. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to hear. I'd like to hear about the workers' control of meat yes. production. Don't give me the, 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 the prices on the Financial Times. I don't want to interested in it. Wall Street? I don't know about that. Welcome back to Potato yeah. Hour. Yes. How many even it be strictly how many, workers controlling the means of production? Yeah. How many tractors have we made this week in Amsterdam? Brilliant. I just think I'm, I'm growing to war- I'm warming to this. That's, that's definitely, yeah. Liberal radio. How about that? Well, I bet that was all very, free very, love very, and hippies. Yes, it was. <laughs> very open mind, very continental. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's Catholic radio. <laughs> We're going to go down that route. I don't, I... I'm just intrigued by the way they set up. They have a mass li- listenership. Eh? Yes, no. Very good. Boom. Eh? That's how we go out. Very well good. done. Dear me. All right. Uh, Charlie Connolly's book is Last Train to Hilversum A Journey in Search of the Magic of Radio. Charlie, thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>